Welcome back to Elevate Ordinary. Today we are talking about facing or fleeing from reality, the vices of pride and sloth. We'll see you in a minute. Welcome back to Elevate Ordinary. I'm your host, John Mark Grodi, here with my wife, Teresa. And we want to thank you again for joining us for another discussion on on day-to-day life, on the the ordinary pursuit of goodness, truth, and beauty, as we like to say. Before we get to our episode today, I want to tell you about how you can support what we're doing here on Awaken Catholic and on this show and the other great shows we've got going on. Please join the Awaken Nation. Go to awakencatholic.org slash donate. Make a one-time or recurring donation. Allow us to continue to develop this ministry, these great shows, this great content to spread the truth and goodness and beauty of Catholicism with the world. And also go to hallow.app slash awaken and download the Hallow app. It's a great app, uh, a great addition to your prayer life, a great way to, to carve out some silence and some presence in your day. Check it out. It's really, really cool. So, Teresa... We've been, uh, I've been enjoying, this has been a lot of fun. There have been lots of discussions. Uh, For those of you who don't know, I don't know why you would know, but (laughs) we use our date time to record these episodes. Welcome to our date night. Thanks for being with us. Yeah. Yeah. Awkward. We've been. Um, (laughs) The third, the third wheel is awkward. Third wheel. Yeah. Well, them. don't feel too no, awkward. Though. No. no, we just we enjoy talking to each other, and when when we get together on our dates, we had have a great date if we've had a great conversation. Yeah, and so this fits very well into our schedule. Our schedule. Yeah, yeah. A lot of our conversations lately have been about virtues, and we thank you for being part of those, being along for the ride with those. We want to continue that discussion a bit today. So um, recently, we we had an episode about the cardinal virtues. We kind of gave an overview of them, and uh, you know, as we've said, and as I've said, like I'm pretty excited about the cardinal virtues, uh, which are uh, prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. Uh, we talked a lot about them. We gave the definitions. We dug into some neat quotes from Joseph Pieper and his book on the Cardinal mm-hmm. Virtues. Today, uh, we want to back up a little bit. So um, we talked a bit about prudence, um, and we pointed out, as Joseph Pieper points out, as Thomas Aquinas points out, that uh, prudence is not just one of the Cardinal Virtues. It's not even like the most special of the Cardinal Virtues. It's the mother and mold of all moral virtue. Um, again, Pieper drawing from Aquinas makes this what seems to our ears, our modern ears, kind of a strange insistence that prudence is the mother and mold of all moral virtue, that all virtue, if it is virtue, passes by way of prudence. Mm-hmm. And we, we dug into that a tiny bit on the Cardinal Virtues program, but I wanted to back up and revisit that again as a, as a context for today's discussion on pride and sloth. On vices today. Yeah, on So vices. we're getting into vices to better help us understand the virtues. Right. So, but again, why does prudence have this place of prominence? Well, it, it, it makes sense if we think about the structure of the virtues, that um, our intellect informs our will, our will orders our passions. But it has to start with our reason. So prudence is, and you, you came up with this kind of succinct way of stating it, prudence is this, uh, this right response to reality. Mm-hmm. So it involves a turning to face reality, 
and then it involves the translating that knowledge, that reality, the, the, our reason into right decisions. And that's the starting place from all virtue, because if we're just doing things without mm -hmm. thinking about them, even if they're apparently courageous things or apparently temperate things, if we're not if we're not reasoning, if we're not choosing, selecting them, it's not virtue. Mm -hmm. um, and so it always begins with this awareness, this wokeness, if you will, here in Awakened Catholic. It always begins with waking up to reality, facing it dead on, um, and then and then uh, making a decision about what to do. So that's this virtue of prudence, and and we can we can grow in that virtue just like the other virtues, you know, by by cultivating this habit of going through life awake and alert. Yeah, and looking at it this way, um, all of the faith life, all of the virtues, all of our action in faith um, hinges on reality. Yes. Um, you know, as St. Paul says, um, if, you know, if Christ hasn't, isn't risen from the dead, I'm paraphrasing cause I'm a Catholic and I don't know my Bible that well. Um, if Christ doesn't ri risen from the dead, this is all in vain. Hmm. This all means nothing. And we might as well just go back to whatever we were doing. Yeah. So reality being in touch with reality, being awoken to reality is how our faith life is lived, how our, how, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's all about reality. I want to read a, a quick quote here. Again, this is from Joseph Pieper. This is actually from his, uh, an anthology of his work, and he gives this nice chapter summary on prudence, but he writes, he's talking about prudence. What is asked of us then is no less than this, to reduce our own interest to that silence, which is an absolute precondition if we want to hear or perceive anything. Yet everybody knows whether we are dealing with the reconstruction of a traffic accident or trying to arrive at an adequate judgment in some dispute, should one of the parties involved fail to see the events that the way, that the way they really occurred, then all further considerations become futile. The precondition for further reasoning is simply missing. The precondition for every ethical decision is the perception and examination of reality. Mm -hmm. And yet this perception makes up only the first half of prudence. The other half consists in translating our knowledge of reality into decision and action. We are thus able to state prudence is the art of making the right decision based on the corresponding reality, no matter whether justice, courage, or temperance is at stake. So it's all about reality. That's where it starts. That's where the life of virtue, the life of right decisions that form the character of the person that we're becoming, mm -hmm. that's, it starts there with that reality. Yeah, and the reason why we're taking today and talking about pride and sloth together mm -hmm. is that in a way, they are both refusing to look at reality. Yeah. So, babe, let's get into these. Yeah, babe. so... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, let's let's first just start with those two words. As, as as always, there's a lot to be had in just examining some of these familiar words that we may use, we may hear, but what do they really mean? What are they? What can we discover when we flesh them out a little bit? Uh, certainly, to begin with, pride. Um, pride is certainly a self-love. That's probably an aspect of it that we've always heard of. But we dig into that self-love, and this is what brings us to this interaction with prudence or lack of prudence, is that the kind of self-love that pride is, is this turning away from reality, turning away from the reality of, of who God is and who I am and what this, this world is that he's created. We, we think of pride, the primordial act of pride was that of, of Satan, right? Mm -hmm. You know, faced with reality, it's, I will not serve. I, I will not accept this state of being, the state of mm -hmm. affairs. So pride is 
you look at reality and you look down on reality and you say, I'm bigger than that. Mm -hmm. I'm better than that. And I don't want that. Um, And sloth is kind of, it's flipped on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, it's interesting. So when I say, when we say sloth here, we need to, we need to flesh that out a little bit. So um, over the, over the centuries, uh, sloth has been used interchangeably with the word acedia and it's connected to despair, but it kind of describes the state in the spiritual life of, well, to, to, to act it out for you, uh, <laughs> you know, this, and, and uh, let me, let me read a little bit here. This is what Peeper has to say about the, the, the vice of sloth or acedia. He writes someplace here. I threw his notes in the trash right before this she um, literally, the notes episode were, the started, notes so the they're out of order. I was cleaning. I didn't want to leave a messy studio. I got it. I got it. So, um, according to classical theology of the church, acedia is a kind of sadness, more specifically a sadness in view of the divine good in man. This sadness because of the God-given ennobling of human nature causes inactivity, depression, discouragement, thus the element of actual sloth, uh, is secondary, but it's, it's a part of this vice that he's describing. He goes on to write that the opposite of acedia is not industry and diligence, but magnanimity and that joy, which is a fruit of the supernatural love of God. Not only can acedia and ordinary diligence exist very well together. It is even true that the senselessly exaggerated workaholism of our age is directly traceable to acedia which is a basic characteristic of the spiritual countenance of precisely this age in which we live. The indolence expressed by the term acedia is so little the opposite of work in the ordinary meaning of the term that St. Thomas says rather that acedia is a sin against the third of the Ten Commandments by which man is enjoined to rest his spirit, the, the commandment on, about the Sabbath. Genuine rest and leisure are possible only under the precondition that man accepts his own true meaning. So let's back up here for a moment. There was a lot in there. The, the, what he's drawing attention to is when maybe the first thing we think of when we hear the word sloth is we just think of laziness. Um, and, you know, that it can refer to that. It could refer to that. The words sort of change over time what they're referring to. But what we're trying to get at here is something much deeper. It's this, this deep-seated sadness of soul about reality. Mm-hmm. So, whereas the prideful person will look at reality, who they are created to be in light of God, and they'll look down on it and say, I'm bigger than that. I'm better better than that. that. I won't be who I'm, I'm, yeah. yeah. The slothful person looks at the goodness and greatness that God has created them to attain and says, oh, it's too much. I don't even want to, you know, and then bringing in the workaholism. Yeah. What are you fleeing from? Yeah. What is the thing that you are created to be that you're fleeing from in your workaholism? And that's why the remedy to sloth is proper rest, mm-hmm. proper rest. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Again, this is what gets back to where we started here is that if, if the beginning, the first step on growing in virtue, and, and again, even backing up further, virtue is our, the part that we play in cooperating with God's grace to, to do and be what we're supposed to do and be in this life. But if the first step of that is turning to face reality, both pride and sloth are these, these flights from reality. And that's kind of mm-hmm. what we want to focus on today. It's interesting that they're connected. We don't think of them as being connected. We, the image of pride is someone very confident above everything. You know, they know it all. You know, we kind of have that 
image, very a very confident, self-aggrandizing image of, of pride. And on the other hand, this acedia, this 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 um, this sloth leading to an ultimate despair, this seems to be the opposite. But what's interesting is that they're connected. Um, I'm going to read a quote here. This is from Peter Kreef's book on um, on uh, virtues. I think it's becoming becoming virtuous, something with virtues. I'll put it in the in the show notes here. He writes, "Pride has ingrown eyeballs. Humility stares outward in self forgetful ecstasy." The God who loves us with an everlasting love is infinitely determined to bring us to that point, the consummation of the spiritual marriage. It is to make that moment possible that he trains us in humility. We must be stripped of all of our frumpery and fancy dress for the naked embrace of the spirit. Humility is the marriage bond of heaven. Pride is the frigidity of hell. Um, And we'll get to humility in a moment, but he goes on because this is the salient uh, part for this part of our conversation. The opponent of pride is not despair, but humility. Or poverty of spirit. Pride and despair are twin brothers. They do not exclude each other, but encourage each other. There is a secret pride in despair, a tragic grandeur, an overweening claim unfulfilled. And there is a secret despair at being human in pride's demand to play God. Humility is the opponent of both. It keeps us from despair as well as from pride. The greatest virtue keeps us from the greatest vice. Oh, there's a certain pride in despair. Yeah. You know, I can think of situations in which someone is happy to be in their rut. Yeah. I know I do this, but what am I going to do? Yeah. You know, there, oh, it like gives me chills. Yeah. There's both in both. There's this refusal to face up to reality. Again, going back to prudence for a second here, there's, there's a couple, there's different ways to fail at being prudent. You know, this first step of facing reality and being decisive, you know, one way is, is a failure out of, it's not sort of a defiant failure. We can go through our life thoughtless, kind of lukewarm and, and just fail to get around to being prudent. And that's, that's a vice that's sinful, but it's, 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 um, maybe less intentional. Um, there's also the, the failure to be prudent in the sense of when we recognize what we should do, the, just being weak not being able to do it, you know, lacking courage, lacking temperance. And again, that's a vice too, but it's not as serious, but there's, there's a difference between those situations and this deeper refusal to look at reality at all. Mm -hmm. This, this more, it's maybe still subconscious, but this more direct flight from reality, this fleeing from the reality of who God is and who he made me to be. Mm -hmm. And both pride and acedia or sloth or despair there, there are two ways of fleeing from that, but they're ultimately connected. And that's what's fascinating in this quote from Kreeft. Yeah, and the more the more that you flee from reality, the more vicious you become, mm-hmm. the more vice-ish mm-hmm. you become. Because as long as there's something there nagging, you're, you're trying in every possible way to cover it up, to cover it up, to you know do something better so that I can atone for this thing that I just refuse to look at, whatever it is, yeah. like I can't look at it. Yeah. Well, let me, uh, so another quote here, this is a peeper going on, but this fleshes out a sloth a little bit more. He writes, this sorrow is a lack of magnanimity. It lacks courage for the great things that are proper to the nature of the Christian. It is a kind of anxious vertigo that befalls the human individual when he becomes aware of the height to which God has raised him. One who is trapped in acedia has neither the courage nor the will to be as great as he really is. He would prefer to be less great in order thus to avoid the obligation of greatness. 
Acedia is a perverted humility. It will not accept supernatural goods because they are, by their very nature, linked to a claim on him who receives them. Something similar exists in the sphere of mental health and illness. The psychiatrist frequently observes that while a neurotic individual may have a superficial will to be restored to health, in actuality he fears more than anything else the demands that are made, as a matter of course, on one who is well. Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't that a challenging thought there? It's super timely, right? <laughs> super timely. There's a part of us that doesn't really want to be healed, that doesn't want to look at our sin that doesn't want to look at God's mercy because if we were healed, there's a part of us deep down that recognizes the demand that that places on us, Mm -hmm. the demand of prudence that made as we are as human beings in the image and likeness of God with the faculties of an intellect of, of free will of passions that can be ordered towards good ends that to not use those to not engage those faculties, to not live as a full human being, is we're we're doing something wrong. We're neglecting mm-hmm. something. We're we're um we're not living up to what we actually are. Yeah. And that's that's a challenging, scary thought. And so it's easier to kind of avoid it in various ways. Yeah. I was thinking today. I you're going to have to help me draw mm. why I'm thinking of this while you're saying this. But I was thinking today about how. I actually enjoy Mm -hmm. how it seems like our life, like we have five young children um, and we live in a very small house and we have a dog and a garden and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And it seems like every third day we are reevaluating our day-to-day structure in our family, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like, okay, this doesn't work with this kid anymore and chores need to be evaluated and the way in which we, you know, this kid's getting older, which means that we have to engage him in a different way, you know, and we're always, it's like this continuous, always going back over how we're relating with one another, what, where we're failing, where a certain sin is coming back up and we're like, we're constantly talking, Yeah. excuse me. And reevaluating our life, which sounds uh, like it sounds horrible. Like I, I'm thinking of Jordan Peterson now, who is a non-Christian, a non-believer, mm-hmm. but when he thinks about, I love Jordan Peterson, so yeah, don't me get too. me wrong, but like, um, but when he thinks about Christianity, he sees it as crushing mm-hmm. because it's so, it puts so much on you, yeah. you know, that you always have to be striving. You always have to be moving forward. And there's and as soon as you start to, you know, you stop, growing and trying to be virtuous and trying to like look at my reality i mean that's really what we do in our daily life we look at our reality which has changed you know it changes daily with the kids and the growth and jobs and coronavirus and all these things like things change daily and we as the adults in the situation we always have to be reassessing okay what works here does bedtime need to be moved here does this you know Mm -hmm. now the sun's coming up at this time you know like Mm -hmm. it and it's heavy but it is so exciting yeah. every time that we have to re-engage and think about how now our life has to change and it's probably going to change next week again. Yeah. Um, but it's like this, this like shoulder to shoulder, like we know that there's a purpose, Yeah, you know, because even in this life, our Lord shows us that when you try to make a good decision, mm-hmm. it may not look perfect, but he gives you, he gives you victories Yeah, in your life. He gives you peace. First and foremost, I mean, that's how you know what you're doing is the right thing. You have peace 
internal peace. But then he gives you little victories that let you know that the thing that you're striving for mm-hmm. is, I'm going to use the word wrong. You'll have to help me. Is magnanimous? Magnanimity or magnanimous. Like it's, it's huge and yeah. glorious and beautiful. Yeah. And you're a part of that, you know, but it's, if you don't want to look at reality, mm-hmm. if there's something there, you don't want to see. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm there all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm there all the time. If there's something there you don't want to see, like it's easy just to be like, everybody's doing it. (laughs) You know, everybody sits on their phone for four hours and like scrolls through things. Everybody does it. Everybody just ignores their kids, you know, like, like (laughs) everybody, yeah. You know, like stays up late and binges on YouTube. Yes, there you go. There you go. I have a friend who watched all six seasons. We can watch, you know, like it's easy to just not look at the reality that you know is there and to kind of just. That's really interesting. Yeah. Bringing up Jordan Peterson and a lot of, I mean, I don't know if the audience is familiar with some of his stuff, but he's often speaking to people uh, who are in kind of the dregs of despair or acedia, Mm -hmm. you know, and saying, you know, make your bed, you know, shoulder some tiny amount of responsibility. And you'll find that in shouldering that, that you'll find some meaning. You'll find this crack of, of courage that you didn't know you had. You'll, you'll find that, uh, I mean, it's difficult to pull yourself out of that pit because suddenly you've, you've raised a little higher and you can fall, you know, mm-hmm. um, more is demanded of you when you become a little well, but that's that first step is to, is to shoulder a little bit of responsibility again and putting it in virtue terms to engage your prudence, the tiny, tiny little crack. What's a little piece of reality that I can, I can face and I can make a decision, however small mm-hmm. to address well, you know, and that's all it takes to begin that journey. It's because of reality. Mm. It's because it's all real. Yeah. Everything we believe in our Catholic faith is real. So the second that you make, choose to make your bed, you know, or you choose to do something that you don't want to do, but you know, it's the right thing to do, no matter how tiny there is a metaphysical change. Mm -hmm. You, you're, you, you make a decision and now you're on a different trajectory. Even if it's something tiny, like starting your day, you know, making your bed or deciding like the kids woke up too early. I hear them. I'm so angry that I didn't get my time, but I'm going to stop and just smile at them and give them a big fake hug because they're three and they don't know the difference. They just know that mommy's hugging them. Mm. But that there's a metaphysical change. That means tell them them what metaphysical means metaphysical bigger beyond physical something beyond the physical material that you can see there is a real change spiritual change out there Mm -hmm. that goes on when you make a right decision right no matter how tiny it is yeah yeah because you because you did something you chose something that's again the significance of of prudence here i mean you, you you joked you know give them a fake hug yeah. Well, it's interesting talking, but you know, even that old phrase about like fake it till you make yeah. it. Yeah. There's certainly a way that that could be taken wrongly or used wrongly, but there's a weird paradoxical truth to it in the sense of, well, when is it faking it? And when is it making it? Mm-hmm. Is it faking it when you're not feeling particularly loving on a given day, but you get yourself the heck out of bed and you make your bed yeah. <laughs> and you make coffee for your spouse and you say, good morning. I love you. I feel like crap today but I'm doing my best here. Yeah. Is that fake? Yeah. No, in an important deeper sense than just your passions. That's very real. In fact, that may be one of the most real things you did this week, mm-hmm. you know, 
And it's going to yield fruit. It's going to yield fruit and virtue because you've grown in courage and prudence and justice in that action. Yeah. You know, so the other day, um, you get off work a lot of the times and you're just done. You're kind of introverted and you're just kind of done. And we were sitting in the backyard and it was kind of getting towards twilight. And I was like, let's go for a walk. (laughs) And you're like, (laughs) and I can't, I can't imagine what was going on in your brain and your heart. And you like, it was like a visible fight. I could see like underneath the, in your brain, just like, and you were like, okay. Yep. And it ended up being like this, this night yeah. that just like, we went down to the river and kind of watched the sunset. And then we went to Speedway and you got a soda. And then the kids, we went and got, got ice, ice cream, cream. and it was dark when we were coming back. We were all singing and the kids were all scared because it's dark, you know, mm-hmm. we're walking home. And it was just the most happy, yeah. joy filled night. Yep. And that wasn't fake. No. Because you became happy right. because you made the right decision. Yeah. We could have sat on the couch and watched The Mentalist. Yeah. We still have like four more seasons left. Yeah. We can watch a lot Got of a Mentalist. A lot of The Mentalist, yeah. Sloth. <laughs> yeah. And again, that gets back to this this whole topic of, of virtue, or the significance of it, because you your passions on any given day can be all over the place. Your emotions, you know, like there's lots of things that affect that. Not just spiritual things, not just intellectual things. You know, how well you're sleeping affects that. What you're eating affects that. The weather affects that. Um, and so you can't live your life passions first. That's why prudence has to lead. But then there's also this reality that as you make, as you make uh, good choices, it, it steers that ship. Those horses of your passions get more ruly. You're able to, to guide them in the right direction. They they, they uh, are oriented toward the things that they ought to be oriented towards. So again, that's how the virtues, they really elevate these, what seem like very ordinary and insignificant decisions. Those are really the huge decisions. Those are the decisions that make us who we are. So now with Pride and Sloth, like mm-hmm. I'm have, I can imagine like um, a movie character, you mm-hmm. know, um, based on the definitions that we've just set forth, like pride looking down pride at who is an you egoistic are. self-love that looks down on truth and reality. You know, it resists God, resists reality because it wants to make its own reality. It wants to hold on onto its own sort of fantasy of what reality is. Mm-hmm. And then sloth looks up and just doesn't want to reach it, those heights and it, just wants to stay down here. It, it looks re- at reality. It resists the goodness of reality. It resists the demands and responsibilities that reality places on it. It would rather just ignore it and flee from it and try to hide from it. Now, but I, can you have... Can you have sloth without pride and pride without sloth? So let's flesh out what that would look like. Yeah, well, so that's again that, that quote that I read from from Kreef, I find really fascinating here because as you dig into those, um, especially at their at their at their deepest, I mean, there can be kind of more surface level manifestations of of pride in simply an, an intemperance, a, a, but but this real deep rooted pride that is in opposition to true charity and true and humility and prudence. It always seems to be intertwined with this deep despair or acedia at its deepest root, um, because again, they're both a flight from reality. But and so, I mean, think about it for a moment. Imagine this scenario: when you're at your worst moment of pride, you know, perhaps um, you had a plan of how things are going to go, and they've not gone in your way, and you you have this pride, this angry pride, well up within you because the universe has not operated according to your plan. And I think we've all experienced that at some point, maybe some more than others, depending on our temperament. I certainly have experienced that, that moment of just being angry at the world. Why can't the world 
and other people <laughs> just cooperate for one moment. But what's interesting is on the back of that, that movement of your heart is always a bit of a tinge of despair, a tinge of like, well, why the heck do I even try? Why the heck do I put in all this work just to have it all? There's a part of you that just wants to give up and just say to hell with all of it. Pretty sure I said that out loud in front of the kids today. Might, might have, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Before this podcast. <laughs> one, there's always a, a tinge of one. There's like a yin-yang in there. There's, there's a tinge of one and the other. And as, again, as, as, as Peeper pointed out in his quote, um, or Kreef did, there's always a tinge of pride in this deep despair, you know, that um, I... I, I I reject reality. Excuse you know, it's, it's just too much. You know, there's this desire to remain a victim, to remain down there. At least what I have in that deep, at least I have my, it, it's funny, but I think, I think you can hear both pride and the deepest form of acedia sing Frank Sinatra's, I did it my way. You know, after, after everything else, at least I did it my way. Again, there's this kind of this pride in, um, in, in, uh, acedia and despair and vice versa. Um, yeah. It's about self-loathing. Well, I think that's, that's, yeah, that's a bit of what's in there. Uh, <clears throat> this, this slow through acedia. Again, so I if, feel like when I, yeah. when I think about the devil, which is not often, uh, but like, you know, or like Dante's devil in the bottom of hell. Yeah. The bottom of like hell is ice in Dante's Inferno, which is interesting. Yeah. The bottom of hell, the, the deepest pit of hell is not fire. Or like... So it's ice, which I think is significant mm -hmm. to this thing, that there is this, in the flight from reality, even the final last thing is this, this sort of freezing up, this refusal even to act or to move or to be. So... A long time ago, I was listening mm -hmm. to Dr. Ray Grundy yeah. on Catholic Radio, and he was talking about, um, you can see when people hate themselves mm -hmm. because they never learn to be disciplined. Yeah. And I, I didn't quite understand it when he said it. And then I remember seeing probably our four-year-old or five-year-old, like he was somewhere in the area of having some kind of self-awareness. Mm -hmm. And he was undisciplined in a certain area and he was having like a temper tantrum mm -hmm. and you could tell that he hated, he could, he had enough of the self visibility yeah. that he hated himself for having acted that way towards me. But yeah. it was like, he didn't know what to do with all those feelings, right. you know, like he was embarrassed about how he just acted, but he was still throwing his temper tantrum or still mm -hmm. angry that he didn't get the thing yeah. and to watch like the complexity. And then you, you put that into adulthood and you're like, yeah, how many times have out of my intemperance? Cause I'm, I'm a talker and I think like loquacious, loquaciousness. I think loquacious people um, tend to hate themselves at some point in the conversation. And we think like, oh, the way I'm going to dig myself out of this hole of talk talking more. too much is to talk more. So I'm going to explain more right. and talk more. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never had this problem ever. <laughs> and you and you just you really like you begin to hate yourself mm. and you can't get out of it because you don't you don't have the discipline to know how to get yourself out of that situation. Yeah. And I can really feel both a pride like a, a hating myself, but also like, uh, like still trying to somehow salvage yeah. some of like this. No, you know? no, this is really good. I think this actually, I think gets at the intertwining of those two really well. Pride is a certain 
type of self-love and acedia, despair, sloth, this thing that we're trying to describe here is to a certain, in a certain sense, a self-loathing. But again, there's always one and the other. The prideful person at the height of their pride really hates themselves. That's why they won't face and be who they actually are. That's why they have to reject the reality. They have to hide from the reality and cling to their unreality, cling to their fantasy, cling to Satan can't be God. He can't beat God. He can't really defy God, but he'll hold on to that reality to the end of time. Mm-hmm. Well, beyond the end of time, because he's not in time. There's a, there, that's what's going on. There's a bit of that going on in pride. There's this self-love that's fleeing from the real self-loathing that's connected to reality. And on the flip side, at those moments of self-loathing, well, what's at the core of that self-loathing? It's this prideful self-love that wants to hold on to in its intactness, that wants to, to resist those things that would that would threaten it and make it face to reality, face to the reality of its own sinfulness, mm-hmm. of its own weakness. I mean, to, for the person who hates themselves, they don't want to look at reality and look at the depth of how crappy they are. Mm-hmm. You know, like we have that, there's a, a bit of a paradox there to get out of that. You have to, to get out of the pit of self-loathing. You have to face your own darkness and kind of come to grips with it. Mm-hmm. And that's why humility is the antidote to both of them. Again, looking at that creeft quote again, the opponent of pride is not despair, but humility or poverty of spirit. Humility, um, Oh, later on, humility is the opponent of both. It keeps us from despair as well as from pride. The greatest virtue keeps us from the greatest vice or vices here. So if pride and and sloth, we'll just use sloth as our shorthand here. If they're both these flights from reality, this intertwined self-love and self-loathing that, that turn inward and flee from the reality, the reality of who God is, who I really am underneath all that. Um, and the reality of, you know, why I've been created, what I'm here for. Humility is this turning outward again mm-hmm. toward the reality toward of who reality. God is, who I am. Um, and what's the, there's some fascinating but wonderful paradoxes here where um, humility is what opens up the door to a, an authentic self-love and an authentic holy ambition. So Kreef writes uh, in Prayer for Beginners, high and holy ambition to be a saint is not opposed to holy humility, total reliance on God's grace. Exactly the opposite. Ambition without humility is ambition that fails. It is pride, which goes before a fall. But humility without ambition is false humility. In fact, it too is pride, for it rebels against God's command to strive for the upward call of God. A saint... A saint looks at reality, Mm -hmm. their smallness and God's bigness, and rejoices in both. Yeah. You know, they, we talk about this sometimes about how when you make a right decision or you want what God wants, you put yourself almost like in this perfect alignment Mm -hmm. that allows God to then just work miracle like like just explode his divine creativity into the world yeah through you yeah and i see i see the saint as a person 
understanding the magnanimity mm-hmm. is that the magnanimity of God and just rejoicing in it and the fact that you were created by this being and loved by this being you know this all powerful like ever loving and you just you rejoice and it, it it's a it's a big giving of self mm-hmm. you know I don't know where I was going with that. No, that's good. Yeah. So, you know, pride and sloth are both this this turning inward toward the self, the self-love and self-loathing, but humility is a turning outward. And then you, we discover, especially as Christians, we discover that um, the kind of self-love that pride is, isn't really a self-love, right? Mm-hmm. Because what it, it hates who I actually am as a, yeah, as a created that, creature, you know? Perhaps, like, that's why throughout all of my cradle Catholicity and then through my adult conversion, pride is self-love, like or is described as self-love, never quite made an impact on my mm. daily life. It wasn't until we started looking at it in conjunction with sloth yeah. and reality, with prudence, with yeah. um looking at reality and saying, No, mm-hmm. I will not serve. No, this mm. is not the reality that I choose to have, and then going another direction, that I really was able to take pride. And look at my own life and be like, holy cow, this makes everything in my universe make sense. Because self-love, it's not really love. Hmm. It's not love. It's self-idolatry or it's self-idolatry. That's exactly what it is. Self-love that divorces itself from reality, from God, that turns away from reality and tries to hold on to self. That's Mm -hmm. not... In the old, it's certainly not really love, mm-hmm. and it's this. It's because self love is good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're t- I mean, we have this Self-love paradox in the New Testament. Love is good. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's an equation, right? You can't love your neighbor if you don't love yourself. Mm-hmm. So there must be some authentic, right way to love yourself. And oh, here we go, bringing up Jordan Peterson again. He articulated it in a way that I thought <laughs> was well. Get canceled, babe. Um, treat yourself as someone you are responsible for taking care of or something like that. Mm-hmm. Someone you're responsible for. And it's it, articulating that way is interesting because it, it almost makes you try to attempt to think of yourself as you would someone else. Mm-hmm. This is another person t- that I have been called, that I've been given responsibility to love and to take care of. Well, that's very different from this egoistic self-love that, that looks at me and turns away from all of you. No, I recognize that just like you, just like the other people in my family, in my life, the neighbors I meet, um, we are all created in the image of likeness of God. That's the truth of who we are. That's the deepest truth of who we are is that we are created and loved and chosen. And so we need to be loved in light of that because of that, because of that reality. Not I love myself because I'm fleeing from reality and, and, and God is a threat to that or other people are a threat to that or even the reality of who I really am is a threat to that. That's not authentic self-love. That can't be mm-hmm. what, what we're, um, we're called to there. Yeah. yeah. So humility, again, there's this amazing paradox here. Humility um, is this turning outward toward reality. It makes possible um, true magnanimity, which is this virtue of, of, of wanting to be great because that's what God calls us to, wanting to be a saint, wanting to, to be the best we can be, wanting to be who God calls us to be. Humility makes that possible and authentic and positive. Um, it also makes an authentic peace and love for who God made me to be possible. You can be at peace with who you are because you're not fleeing from the reality. You mm-hmm. looked at it. You've seen both your sinfulness as well as God's mercy, as well as the purposes to which he's made you and called you. And you can be at peace with those things. You can have, you know, a true serenity in those things. 
Mm-hmm. And this brings us back around to prudence. Uh, I wanted to read another quote here. This is um, from uh, an article by Tracy, Stacy Tresenkos, I think is how you say her name here. Um, but she writes, if I can find it, the other three cardinal virtues are meaningless unless they are grounded in prudence. That's why prudence is the, uh, the principal cardinal virtue, as we've said. In turn, prudence depends on the higher theological virtues, faith, hope, and love, but namely love from which all virtue flows. To be authentically prudent, we must love truth, hope for a future good, and have faith in God. So the connection of the cardinal virtues to the theological virtues must be remembered when learning to practice virtue. The significance here of, of humility is that we, underneath the cardinal virtues, underneath our acts of cooperating with grace is our being open to the grace that's, that's animating us, to the source of the grace, to the source of life, to the source of truth. And if by our pride or sloth, we're rejecting that, we're separating ourselves, we're trying to hide from that reality, we're, we're, we are cutting ourselves off from that grace, from that love. Uh, and so humility, that, that first step of humility, of, you know what, I want, I just want truth. I want reality. I want things as they are. That opens us up to this relationship with God that yeah. animates us, that saves us. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sick of pretending. Yeah. I'm sick of doing what the people say I need to do. I'm sick of like, you know, you, you find a lot of people at their turning point, just be like, I'm sick of being a victim. Like I'm, I'm sick of being tired of sick of being sick. I'm sick of, you know, like, and so then what's the next, what's your next step? Your next step is, well, what's, what can I, what is real right around me? What is real? Like, what can I put some stock in right now? Um, yeah, I think this is another reason why, again, in scripture, and it was quoted in one of those quotes, why, um, well, no, 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 it wasn't quoted in one of those quotes why lukewarmness is such an issue. You know, that's called out in scripture. If you, if you're lukewarm, you know, be ye hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I'll, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. That's somewhere. I don't remember where it is, but it's in there. <laughs> but what's the problem with lukewarmness? Well, there is a certain lack of prudence, this sort of thoughtlessness of just kind of going through life, not intentionally fleeing from truth, but just kind of all never getting around to it, always kind of hiding from it. Just, just kind of getting through life that would make it very easy to just to just get to just kind of slide through life and wonder what happened and get mm-hmm. the end of, of your life and just like i didn't do anything i didn't i didn't experience conversion i didn't grow the certainly pride and despair are great sins but as it as it was quoted in one of those quotes pride goeth before the fall sometimes when we're at our our most prideful or we're despairing that is we are being set up for a fall for a moment of real crisis. And sometimes that's where we finally let God in. You know, we've, as you said, we've been fleeing, we've been fleeing from reality. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been trying so desperately hard to, to face up to the reality of who I am, Mm -hmm. that I I look down on that reality or I'm fleeing from the reality of who God's called me to be. I'm just fleeing from that. But finally in a moment of crisis, we may, I'm, I'm tired of running. Yeah. I just want truth. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, allowing a person to get to rock bottom, you know, rather than always trying to, keep them from that rock bottom. Like sometimes the rock bottom. Yeah. Well, God only knows that, yeah. you know, we, we can never know another person's heart. Um, so we, we get to places where all we can do is pray for people, but that certainly seems to be what's happening in God's providence in certain people's lives that he's, he's, he's letting them crash 
so that they can discover oh, true humility. He's you let know? me crash. I can't even tell you how many times God has let me crash yeah. and then just kind of taken his heel and been like, <laughs> a little farther down there. <laughs> but the resurrection is real. Yes. And I mean, I think that that's part of the reality that we need to remember is that in our Christian faith, not in our Christian faith, in reality, in reality through Jesus Christ, through his resurrection, death is not the end for us anymore. Death is the new life. Yes. You know, every opportunity or every time death comes our way, mm-hmm. we're being given an opportunity for resurrection yes. through Jesus Christ because that's reality. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a fun message or a message that you pin on the wall to get you through the day. Yeah. It is real. Yeah. Yeah. In pride or as well as in this deep sloth, you are your idol. You are what you both worship and hate, and you're trapped with yourself forever. And when you crash, that idol is destroyed if you let it. And you can turn, you can come out of the cave, you can come out of Plato's cave and see reality and come to know God and come to know what he's made you to be. You're a person with with an intellect and a will, and you can make good choices, and you can shoulder responsibility, and you can find meaning in that, and that he has even greater things for you than you could ever imagine. Like, that's all there. Mm -hmm. But you gotta face reality. Yeah. Do you know who I think the most underappreciated author is? Oh, I know. Vice and Virtues. I know, I know. Yes, yes, John Mark in the front. Jane Austen. Jane Austen. As we're sitting here I having bet you this didn't discussion, know that that was coming. <laughs> yeah, uh, I am ashamed to say that I really believed that Jane Austen was a like Victorian romance novel author because, mm-hmm. like, when you watch a movie, they have to move the plot along somehow, and the plots always end up with someone getting married or wanting to get married or not getting married or etc. But um, boy, as we're talking about this, I'm just like, I'm, I'm probably reading Pride and Prejudice for the ninth time. I can't put it down. Like I just, I finish it and I start it over again. But I think this conversation has inspired me to go back now and reread yeah. Emma. Yeah. Because it's, it's all about vice and virtue, yeah. pride and sloth, truly yeah. in all of, in, and particularly in youth. Emma's, Emma's about youth. Yeah. You know, the youthful yeah. Anyway, we yeah. I need to find someone else who's read Jane Austen as yeah. many times as well, you, I have. You prepare. We'll, we'll have a couple episodes. You we'll, need to read. We'll Jane find more. some good instances of Jane Austen novels where we can pull out some virtues and vices to to explore further. So, well, to, to wrap up today, as just a, a quick recap, because I think it's helpful for me to have this visually. Again, we explored. Um, we've been exploring the cardinal virtues, and I like to think of prudence is kind of at the helm at the top there. You know, the mother and mold of all virtue, all virtue passes by way of prudence. And the primary thing that prudence attends to in facing reality is justice. The reality of my interconnections with other people, my God, my spouse, my neighbors, attending to those and trying to put them in the right order and trying to do them. And then to carry those out, uh, I need I need courage to face difficulties externally and temperance to order my passions so that they're pointing in the right directions. But if we back up to that prudence, if prudence is facing reality, then we all grapple with at times and at different degrees, this, this urge to refuse to face reality, this urge to flee from reality. Sometimes the urge comes from this sense of an inordinate self-love that wants to hold on to myself and avoid the things that are threatened to me. Sometimes that comes in the form of this despair 
that wants to hold on to myself and resist the demands that that it's pl- are placed on me. Pride and prejudice, babe. <laughs> now I'm just thinking of Elizabeth Bennett. You can't have pride without prejudice because your your prejudice is not facing reality. That's right. Oh, ooh, yes. I know, right? Oh man, it totally took me nine times of reading that book to get that right. <laughs> Okay, we need to wrap up. And finally, (laughs) humility is the antidote to both of those. That self-love and that self-loathing that prevent prudence. Humility is a bridge. Humility is this turning outward to face reality humbly, to submit to the reality of who God is, who I am, and that he's created me and for his purposes. And it's in that that we reconnect with the theological virtues, the, the faith, hope, and love. We're able to reconnect with God, with reality. And we can proceed from there to, uh, to be the people God's calling us to be, made us to be. Amen. I'm mm-hmm. holding back right now oh, all the things. Save it all up. <laughs> so if you are a an amazing Catholic, I guess you don't have to be amazing. You have to understand <laughs> some, some kind of Catholic teaching, vice virtue, and you've read Jane Austen on repeat, please contact me because I want to talk to you. Yeah. Well, and we hope you've, <laughs> you've enjoyed thus far some of these discussions on virtues. You know, we've, uh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> We hope you're enjoying the show. You know, we'll can, we're going to be here again next week you know, with more interesting topics um, from everyday life of how we can kind of dig in a little deeper and, and discover the opportunities to pursue truth and goodness and beauty and our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, but in particular, these, these little studies on virtues, we're going to continue them, virtues and vices. And so if you have any thoughts about those, any requests, uh, any input, we really appreciate that as well. So with that, I just want to remind you that again, if you like what we're doing here on this show, on this channel, on this, in this apostolate, Awaken Catholic, you can become part of the Awaken Nation by going to awakencatholic.org slash donate. If you could make a one-time or recurring donation in support of this ministry, we'd really appreciate it. It goes a long way. And there's also some neat members only stuff available to you. And you can find that out on the website. But also, a great way to practice some of these virtues, prepare ourselves, uh, find silence, find presence, grow closer to our Lord. A really neat tool for that is the Hallow app. And you can go to hallow.app slash awaken to download that app to get a free 30-day premium subscription, but also to support the work of Awaken Ministries. So check those both out. I think that's everything. Thank you again for joining us for this discussion on Elevate Ordinary. We're so excited to see you again next time. God bless. This show and all media on Awaken Catholic is made possible by the Awaken Nation and the Hollow app. The Awaken Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org slash donate. Hollow is the only audio-guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hollow.app/awaken.